Welcome to Cosmic You, the podcast where we explore the depths of spirituality, self-discovery, and the mysteries of the universe. I'm Holly. And I'm Bree. Through our journey, we've discovered that the universe is a reflection of our inner selves, and by exploring the cosmos, we can discover new insights which guide us to unlock our true potential. Each week, we'll be diving into a new topic related to spirituality, inviting guests along the way who are experts and thought leaders in their field to join us to share their unique insights and perspectives. Throughout conversations, we hope to inspire you to discover the sacred within yourself and the world around you. We are so excited to embark on this journey with you. Welcome to Cosmic You. Welcome back to another episode of Cosmic You. This week I am super excited because I am going to be asking Holly a bunch of questions about yoga, yogic philosophy, the yogic way of living, and just starting to understand it at a deeper level. I think in the Western world, yoga is often seen as an exercise practice that we do. Mm. And it's so much more than that. But it's kind of, it's like astrology or any other system that you start to explore. It can feel really overwhelming. Like, where do I start? Or what questions do I even ask to get the answers I need? How Mm. do I start to get into this practice and things like this? And so I think... It's really cool today to sit down with you, Hole, and really start to get this foundation of of knowledge around this beautiful ancient practice. So we thought it would be cool to start by really asking, so what do you wish people knew about yoga? Mm. I think the biggest thing among many things but the biggest thing I wish people knew about yoga is it is not a form of exercise it's (laughs) it is not something you do with your body it's also not something you do like the practice of yoga that we go and do in studios actually the correct terminology is yoga ha and then yoga or yog is the state that you arrive in uh Yeah, so that's a huge one. And I wish people knew that yoga was a spiritual practice. Uh, You know, I think some, you know, people that practice yoga at some point, maybe, maybe not, will realize this is a spiritual practice. Um, But, you know, from the outside looking in, it doesn't look like a spiritual practice uh, because that's just not what generally is available to us. But I wish people knew yoga is a spiritual practice. Mm. And it's a self-practice and, yeah. So say I turn up to one of your classes and I'm interested, like I I kind of have an idea that it's more, but I'm a little bit nervous to come to class because what if I get it wrong? Or do you mean, like, how does this look? Like, do I know enough to even be turning up in the first place? What would you say to someone like me who wants to jump in, but is a little bit nervous? Uh, I think sometimes just figuring out where those nerves come from too, because I think a lot of people have gone to yoga before and got that very intense exercise workout experience from yoga and they've kind of gone into this space, you know, knowing that the modern world talks about yoga, like it's really great for your mental health, it's really good for you and then people go and have this experience where it's exhausting Mm. (laughs) and they can't do the poses, they can't keep up and it's seen as a workout and 
it can feel like a competitive environment sometimes too, which feels not conducive to being really good for your mental health and being really good for, you know, you as a human being. And I've had a lot of people, you know, friends even, they're like, oh, I went to yoga once. It was so hard. I would never go back again. And I'm like, oh, it's, it's hard, but it's not hard in that way. And I think that's sometimes what can turn people away from it. Uh, but I think if you, you know, have those nerves, like anything, nerves are valid when you're starting something new that you don't know about, mm. uh, that you haven't really ever put yourself in that position before and don't let the nerves deter you from going either. Like something you can do is reach out to the studio, have a conversation, message the teacher whose class, if you, you know, follow them on Instagram, like I would always happily if anyone messaged me and they're like, I really want to come to yoga. I'm just not sure what to expect. Or I don't know, like, you know, message me. I'm mm. like, my DMs are always open and I will always talk to you, uh, you know, to help you understand what yoga is so that you feel safe when you're walking into a class as well. And, you know, help you figure out, well, what is it that you want out of yoga? Cause I understand not everyone is going to want the same things. Um, and then, you know, I can point you in the direction of where you're going to get those kind of things from. Um, if the studio has reception hours, like go visit the studio before you actually go in, like mm. meet with a teacher or meet with the studio owner before you go in. Cause that'll help you feel also, is this a place that I want to go or like maybe not? Um, cause I think you might, you know, have, if you're already a little bit nervous and then you have an experience, that's not really lovely then your chances of going back to yoga, like anything in life, it's, it's going to be a little bit harder. So if you can kind of figure out the environment first, if you gel with it, if you align with it, then you've kind of already determined if it's going to feel like a safe and supportive environment for you. Mm. Uh, and then also, you know, I get a lot of people that come to class and, you know, they might say like, oh, like I have, I've been out of exercise for a little while or I've been out of yoga for a little while. So if I can't do this, or I can't do that. Like, that's why I'm like, oh no, you'll be fine in my class. Nothing's like, you'll be okay. Like seek out the studio yeah. and the teacher that feels nourishing. Totally. Because everyone, obviously we're all human. We all have our own style of teaching. Yeah. Yep. We all have our own way of setting up a space. Yep. And so, like you said, just finding somewhere and someone that aligns to what you need in that moment mm. and just trusting that like just because your best friend likes that studio doesn't mean you have to totally yeah and I think like if you have a bad experience one time like try something different next time mm. like different teacher different studio different um you know style of yoga if you if you like uh and I think too like if you come to my classes the thing that you know is different about my classes which is slightly sad that it's the the different thing but I teach in a way that includes as many limbs of yoga as possible or all of them if possible because that's really what yoga is right yoga is not the asana that you're doing it's not just one facet and there's actually a term for this it's called savanga sadhana and this means all or complete mm -hmm. and the other way of practicing yoga is called anga bhanga sadhana which sounds, you know, weird. You, you hear it and you go, yeah. oh. Um, and like that's Sanskrit, right? You can feel the vibration of the words. Like savanga sadhana sounds much nicer than angabanga sadhana. Mm. And savanga sadhana means complete practice. Angabanga sadhana means incomplete practice. Mm. And most people are going into studio settings having that incomplete practice. So there's just asana and that's about it. 
Mm. Whereas Savanga Sadhana includes asana, like from a general point of view, asana, breath work and meditation because mm-hmm. that's what's making it complete. Mm. Um, and then all of the other like tools and techniques that go into that and the, th- the steps along the way to achieve those things, mantra, mudra, all of the things expect to come into my classes and those things are there, which is also not for everyone. Completely. So, yeah. <laughs> I know if I turned up to your class for my first time, I might feel a little bit overwhelmed. Totally. But now I would turn up and be like, yes. Yeah. Like, and I, I think arrived. like as a teacher, that's something I'm very aware of. So I make these things as accessible and as possible. And if we're going to be chanting mantra in a class, say om Mm. and not just like the three oms at the beginning of the class or the three oms at the end of class but actually during the asana so even in asana the experience is not about your body or not about the asana itself it's it's layered and there's more things happening than just that because that's what yoga is about it's you know you enter the body not all paths of yoga like are like this but hatha yoga in particular is you use the body as a stepping stone and like something to purify and then move beyond. Like the body is a temple. It's a, it's a gateway to access the divine. Mm-hmm. So we use it. This is why we have mudra. This is why we have pranayama. This is why we have asana uh, because the body is a gateway to those things, but we can't stop with the body. If we're just doing asana only, then we're just, you know, working the body. We're not actually starting to move beyond it. So if, you know, for example, we are doing mantra in asana, I'll kind of be like, and this is something my teacher taught me, point out the elephant in the room. We're going to do this tonight. It's weird. We all are aware that it's weird. It's not a thing that we do in everyday life. Just sit in a room with people and chant while we're moving our bodies. So we all think it's weird. We're going to do it anyway. Yeah, because I think that's a big thing. You become so conscious of, am I pronouncing this right? Totally. Is my tone off? Is their tone off? Yeah. (laughs) For sure. And I think if like... an octave, Barbara. (laughs) Yeah. Barbara, no. Um, And I think if you go into a studio for the first time and there is like that real yoga happening and you haven't experienced that before and no one's pointing out that something is different here, then you're going to feel like the odd one out. You're going to feel like everyone else knows what they're doing. They're chanting. This is weird. Like, I don't know what this is. Mm. But if the teacher, so if you are a teacher and you're starting to teach in these ways, be aware that people will feel a little bit uncomfortable with that and you need to find a way to make them comfortable with that again because, yeah, it's a weird thing. Mm. (laughs) We're not, you know, kind of like in our uh, previous episode when we were talking about Bali, they chant all throughout the day. Like, it's just part of their life so it's not weird to do that Mm. um but you know no one's chanting just outside in the world (laughs) yet yet watch this space um so yeah as a teacher it's it's my job to always make sure the teachings feel accessible and personal and like they can actually be part of your life they're not untouchable Mm. um and to make you feel like it's safe enough to explore those in your own personal way while still deeply honouring tradition and the roots of yoga and how it was always intended to be. Mm. <clears throat> because I think with these ancient practices and Ayurveda is the same, we have to honour where they come from and also find ways that they you know, fit into our life without diluting them and changing mm. them because then it's 
no longer what it was intended to be for. Yeah, that's really powerful. One thing that I think you you mentioned Hatha Yoga. I remember when I was first starting out on my yogic journey and I would look at a timetable mm. and there are all these different types of yoga. I just felt a bit paralyzed by choice yeah. and I didn't know really what I was signing up for or mm. what the difference was and what to choose. Yeah. Can you kind of talk to that and the different I don't know forms yep. of yoga and Yep. And what you're looking out for when you're looking at a timetable. Yep. Yes. <laughs> actually a really great point and I'm glad you brought it up uh this is another thing I wish people knew about yoga as well is when we kind of look at a timetable like you said there's all of this choice and all of these different styles Mm. and what's really interesting is hatha yoga is actually not a style of yoga it's a path of yoga Mm -hmm. and then most of those other styles and really what we say to people when we look at these styles on timetables, basically what it's doing is it's saying, how are you moving your body when you go into that classroom? It's not really speaking to anything more and not to, you know, talk down to any of these different styles or anything. It's not about that. But uh, we've kind of in the modern world of yoga and in the Western world created all of these different styles of yoga, which is really speaking to how are you doing your asana? Mm. Uh, whereas Hatha yoga is a path of yoga. It's called marga. So you would say back in the day when you would be like, uh, you know, the question wouldn't be what style of yoga are you doing? It's what path of yoga are you on? You would say I'm a hatha yogi. And I'm, yeah. So that is a huge difference. There's other paths as well, like bhakti. Mm -hmm. That's quite a big path of yoga. It's very different to hatha yoga. It looks quite different. You don't do as many of these, you know, physical things or purificatory things. There's, it's, hatha yoga is still a devotional path for sure, but that's what sets hatha yoga apart quite a bit is you go into the body to touch the divine. Whereas other paths of yoga don't necessarily go into the body first. Like if you think of some of the practices of bhakti yoga, it can look different to what a hatha yogi is doing. Mm. They're all going to the same point to touch the divine to be with source, but they can kind of get their different ways, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Um, so it's called marga, which means path. Is kundalini a path? Depends how you look at it. Kundalini is a big part of hatha yoga. So okay. one of the main things that we're doing in hatha yoga is to actually get kundalini to rise up the spine. And here's what's interesting is kundalini has become this buzzword, like a, its own style of yoga. Mm. But actually that's what hatha yoga is doing too. Okay. Yeah. So in hatha yoga, we, yoga in general really, I'm going to maybe get a little bit deep. Go for it. <laughs> Love it. So we have this central channel within our spine called sushumna nadi. And nadi means channel. So there's many of them through the body. Different paths will say different amounts of nadis. But, you know, typically in Hatha Yoga, we say there's about 72,000 nadis or channels within the body that prana or energy runs through. And obviously you've got your chakras that are aligned along your spine. And what we want to actually do is dissolve the chakras so that kundalini can rise upward through sushumna nadi right? So for kundalini to rise upward, we need 
to Shumnanadi to be open and it's not always open. Mm. We have these two other nadis that wrap around the spine called Ida and Pingala Nadi. And when we're ready for it, what happens in yoga is we're trying to purify, quote unquote, like just for lack of a better word, these two nadis that wrap around the spine because they keep us in the dualistic nature of life, like sun, moon energy, mm-hmm. hatha. It's a simplistic way of explaining what hatha yoga is, but often it's translated as sun and moon and you want those two things to kind of come together and also then dissolve so that things you can touch light, if that makes sense. Like sun and moon are very opposing forces. Ida, Pingalanadi, they keep you in that dualistic back and forth nature of life, which is also a really beautiful thing. It's embedded in us, like those channels are there. Mm. Um, And if you've ever been to yoga and you've done alternate nostril breathing, this is one of the reasons you do that. It's not just a breath practice. It's spiritualizing your experience too, because uh, they're related to your Ida and Pingalanadis. They kind of... mm, an origin point for them is here, right at your nostrils. Mm. <laughs> so when you do alternate nostril breathing, you breathe in through your left channel and then you breathe out through your right channel. Then you breathe in through your right channel. You breathe out through your left channel. You're purifying them and balancing them. And our body does that naturally about every 90 minutes. You'll be more predominantly be breathing in through your left nostril and then 90 minutes you'll shift and breathe predominantly into your right nostril. So again, keeping you in that dualistic nature which means the Shumna Nadi is going to stay closed. So we do alternate nostril breathing to get perfect balance and harmony in those two channels so that they kind of uh, are purified and dissolve and that channel can then open up. And so if you do alternate nostril breathing quite often, you'll experience that third channel opening. Mm. And that's why things start to get clearer, you get calmer and you can go into that meditative point. Once the Shumna Nadi is open, that's when meditation is much more accessible and Kundalini can start to rise up through that channel. Beautiful. So Kundalini itself, it's, I think it's become like quite a modern thing that it is a different style of yoga and there'll be different branches within all paths of yoga. Different techniques will be used. I'm trained more in traditional tantric hatha yoga. So there's, you know, certain techniques and stuff that come with that. Um and we're all kind of trying to get to the same point anyway. There's just different techniques, different kriyas, different practices that you do to get you there. Um, but in uh, yeah, in reference to uh, timetabled classes, it's going to speak a little bit more to what you're doing with your physical body mm-hmm. than, yeah, which is kind of confusing actually. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's. I'm very aware of how confusing all of that is. And it's just because of how we think about yoga in the modern world is really, we're always wondering what we do with our body and how we move in asana. So yeah, hatha yoga is actually not a style of yoga. It's a path of yoga. And those styles usually that you see on a timetable are underneath the umbrella of hatha yoga. I think it's really beautiful how you explained the difference in classes and how you structure your classes and how with Kundalini, for an example, Mm. is I think it seems like its own path Mm. because they really 
if you go to a, a, a kundalini class, it really does embody all of the eight limbs. Like you're doing right. everything. It's very interactive. Mm. Like it's very full on embodied. Yeah. Um, and I just think we're not really used to seeing that. Totally. Or having that experience in say, I don't know, a yin class. Yeah. Right. And so it's really interesting for me hearing mm. actually the differences and yeah again Jimin, just hearing holy speak guys and and knowing there are different styles mm-hmm. and different teachers who are going to show up in different ways mm. and Jimin, there are teachers out there who are practicing the full embodiment mm. and really honoring the systems yeah um so yeah yeah knowing that you can find that i think yeah. is really important totally and uh, I think um, with that, I think there's this huge promise of yoga, right? And people kind of go into yoga knowing that it is a spiritual path even. But if they aren't diving into yoga as a complete system, it's not gonna, you're not going to bear the fruit of the work you're putting in, right? Mm. Because if you're only doing asana all the time, maybe a little bit of breath breath work, um, it's when you really go deeply into the systems and complete systems that yoga truly will transform your life. Mm-hmm. And I see a lot of people dabble in yoga, kind of sit on the surface and be like, yoga didn't really give me what I wanted, so now I've gone to this, which is totally fine. Absolutely do that. You have to find what works for you. Mm. But know that yoga can actually take you really far and deep into your life if you have the teacher or you have the willingness as a student to keep digging and to keep finding what is there because it's so vast and there's just so much in it. And like that's something that I see a lot of people kind of get into yoga and be like, ah, bye and then find it in a different way Mm. and then kind of shit on yoga that it didn't help them and I'm like but did you really excuse me (laughs) yeah I'm like what yoga were you practicing though and like that's the only thing that I'm like don't shit on yoga you know because it it is there and also if yoga is not working for you cool to go find what uh, actually takes you to that that point as well Mm. um but yeah yoga has so much to offer and I think Yeah, it's, yeah, it's wild. Mm, it's so complex, isn't it? It's it's complex, but it's beautiful and simple. And I think what I love about yoga is that, like spirituality from, you know, looking outside, it can, or when you look at it, right, it's like, oh, it actually is simple, right? It's not really that hard. <laughs> but then what I love about yoga is it recognises actually no, These are all the things in life as a human being you're going to be challenged with. You're going to face and they're going to be really hard and they're going to limit you on your spiritual path. So here are all the things to help you progress through those things. Like yoga is not saying you need to be perfect all the time and you're already spiritual. So just live that spiritual life. It's like, no, you're a human being. Here's all the things that are going to be really hard. Mm. And yoga as a system recognizes that and gives you the tools to understand yourself Mm. and then move through those things Mm. because I think uh you know even how yoga looks at the mind is just a breath of fresh air to be like yeah your mind will do that Mm. (laughs) this is how it functions here's how to 
change the functioning of your mind or here's how to see beyond your mind or here's how to see beyond your ego or here's how to understand yourself as a human being is what I love about this the you know path of yoga that I practice within is that it fully recognizes embrace and embraces your humanness as a part of your spirituality mm. because some parts of yoga as well will try and transcend the body completely and the human life and that's a great too like that's another beautiful path but uh what I love about it is you kind of can be like oh yeah this is my stuff cool <laughs> where do I find how like this is something I can move through mm. um and I think you know hatha yoga itself is seven stages of practice and so it really speaks to making sure you are a safe and steady container for kundalini to rise up through you. Because if you start to move that energy and your body is not steady enough or your mind is not steady enough, it's light, right? So it'll shine light on everything. It won't be discerning on what it shines light on. So if you haven't, you know, if you start playing around with these practices or certain techniques, certain kriyas, and you haven't done that foundational work, it can be really intense to experience and it, mm. it'll shine light on your on your shadow. And if you haven't integrated the shadow, then your shadow is going to get more intense. Does that it make sense? complete sense, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, you've got your seven stages of Hatha Yoga and it, you know, Ayurveda is even in that, in like your first stage. You've got to make sure the body's really healthy and functioning because your body is your vehicle for your spiritual path. So how do you take care of that? How do you purify that first? Um, and then someone actually wrote in a question about this a couple of weeks ago. And it, like I just remembered then. But someone was asking about the moon, sun, fire progression of practice. And this is kind of uh, assimilated knowledge of the seven stages of Hatha Yoga. So the moon stage of practice is where we begin and it's all about creating stability stability of the body stability of the mind stability of your nervous system getting really grounded uh, and essentially it's about starting to just calm everything down mm -hmm. <laughs> as like a preparation for spiritual practice because if you think about the world that we live in so intense Things are moving so quickly and, you know, it's quite fiery. It's, you know, yeah, we're pulled in many different directions all at the same time. Mm. And a moon practice is all about coming back to moon, calm. Uh, it's all about your mind. So like stabilizing there because if you, if your mind's not steady enough, meditation is hard, right? Mm -hmm. So this is what the moon stage is all about. It's a very internal practice. Uh, very slow, you'll hold asana for a longer period of time so that, you know, if you're constantly moving in asana, you're not giving yourself an opportunity for all of the stuff of your mind to rise up to the surface and then integrate it. Mm -hmm. Whereas when you stay for a longer period of time in asana, it's going to get a little bit uncomfortable. So your mind is going to start, you know, rearing its head. And that's when you can, you know, in a moon practice, you're creating an environment where it's you're steady enough to let all those things kind of happen, if that makes sense, yep. and then integrate it, calm it, stabilize it again, so that when you get to the next point of practice, which is a sun practice, this is all about sensitizing yourself to prana, 
and learning how to direct it. So light, essentially, your light, your vibration, your energy. And kind of what I was saying before, the sun itself in the sky is not discerning of what it shines light on. Mm. The sun shines light on the ocean, on beautiful parts of nature. It also shines light on garbage sitting in the street. It shines light on every corner of the world, right? Mm -hmm. The beautiful and the not beautiful. So when you get to a sun practice, you're starting to cultivate prana, sensitize yourself to it so you can then start to direct your own prana. And if you haven't done the stabilizing in the moon first, you're going to shine a light on the busyness of your mind and it'll exasperate the busyness of your mind. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It's making me reflect back to earlier parts of my journey. Actually. Yeah. I'm just thinking like, oh, that's interesting to me. You, you think you're doing the right thing. Mm. But it actually absolutely did activate all of these parts that I wasn't yeah. grounded and stable yep. enough to catch it. Yeah. And, you know, that's okay too. Yeah. Yeah. It and out. it's, you know, if you come to a, you know, if you're a really busy person and you've got a really intense life that's quite stressful and you do a sun practice, it's going to kind of feel good in the moment because it's keeping you this in the same energy as where you are, but it's going to really intensify all of that as well so you know if you have bad habits or you're speaking unkindly to people or you know whatever it is you're you're intensifying the prana of all of that and shining a light on all of that so it's only going to get more intense Mm. so this is why there's those stages of practice because it's important (laughs) to take care of yourself yeah And then you get to the fire practice, which is essentially illumination. That's where practice is really becomes in a way sometimes more subtle, like it's deeper energetic work to really now start to get Kundalini to rise up through the spine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think that's something people don't really understand either, that there's like stages of practice. I did not know that at all. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, there'll be times of your life where certain stages are – much more needed than others so it's not just like a co- constant like oh I'll just like step through these um, sometimes you might be going through something in your life and you're like I really need to go back to a moon practice my life is getting a little bit chaotic I really need to stabilize myself again I really need to let go release ground so what does a moon practice look like yeah so typically moon practices are in terms of poses that you'll be doing more forward folding and more twisting because they are compressing the abdomen in a particular way that it is going to get prana to move down. Mm-hmm. When prana moves down towards the base of your spine and in your abdomen, that's when you're going to start to cultivate the energy that's, you know, moon-like in its quality. So like mm-hmm. calm, grounded, stable. Mm-hmm. Well, there's so much more that we could talk about. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, we're both um, a can of worms. This is where like... I won't go too deep into it because we could probably do a whole episode on it. But these are where the vayus come into play. So the vayus are the winds in the body or the way that air moves, the way that prana moves in your body. And in a moon practice, we're moving prana down to cultivate what we call apana vayu, this force of release. So think about every time you menstruate, things are moving down and out of you. That's because Mm. of the force of apana vayu. When you give birth, moving down and out, Apana Vayu. It's also the way that we release, obviously, everything that comes out of our body. Yeah. <laughs> but it's also the way that we release and let go of emotion. We 
let go of everything else that we need to let go of. Think about, you know, when something happens in your life and your mind gets really gripped on it and you can't let it go. Mm. A part of IU is the energy that helps you let go of that thing. Um, so when we talk about in yoga, like, oh, you know, let go. <laughs> it's not that easy. But you can actually move your energy in a way where you can support the process of letting go and release. Every time we go to sleep at night, there needs to be a process of release. Like we need to release the day, mm. right? Moon. We need to come back to those moonlight qualities so that we can release and let go and rest That's and be so calm beautiful. and stable. Yeah, this is what I mean. Yoga like is so beautiful. There's so much to it. Mm. Um, so, you know, if you're in your life and your life is so busy, moving so quick, you also find maybe that you are quick to anger, you get really irritated or frustrated, you've got this like fieriness and like too much intensity or like it, you find it really hard to let go of emotions, like you're holding grudges with people, you can't let go of something that happened to you, like a conversation that you had and now that person is just irritating you all the time. It's because you're holding that thing inside of your body mm. and your energy body and your mind. A Aparnavayu is the force to release it. So not only do these things work on a physical level, like menstruating, giving birth, releasing all the things that you eat, <laughs> it also works on an emotional and mental level as well. How powerful. So powerful. Mm. Yeah. If you aren't able to go to the toilet, Aparnavayu. <laughs> If you're constipated, <laughs> you need more of that in your life. <laughs> you should make shirts, Holly. Yeah. <laughs> you can't go to the toilet. Come to yoga. Aparnavanu. <laughs> Vayu. <laughs> yeah. So that is and Samana Vayu, which is this assimilative force in the navel center. It's your capacity for digestion, assimilation, metabolism, not just of your food, but of your life. It's how you, it's that energy that we use to extract wisdom from life mm. and to keep evolving and growing on our spiritual path. Because if we, if you eat food and you don't have capacity to digest it and extract the nutrients from the food, the food is not nourishing, right? Mm -hmm. You're only as nourished by the food that you're able to digest. This is the same as life. If we are going through all of these life experiences, but we can't metabolize them, digest them and assimilate them and then release them, then they're not integrating into our life. We're not finding the lessons and the wisdom in life to actually keep growing. It's kind of like if you notice that the same lesson keeps repeating your life over and over and over again and you just, like you're on this hamster wheel of the same lesson, you probably need to cultivate more samana value so you can actually extract the wisdom from that lesson and integrate it, assimilate it so you can keep growing and move into the next lesson. Mm. So from a physical point of view, samana value in the navel, it's going to help you digest your food. <laughs> it's going to build that energy. Uh, but it's also going to help you feel much more nourished from life as well. And it creates mentally, the way that I often describe it is the energy around that part of the body feels like steady luminosity. Like you're steady, but there's also this, it's not that same groundedness as a Parnavayu. It has this like light, bright quality to it because you think if when you're digesting food, you feel when you haven't digested that. You're like, oh, I'm bloated. I feel sick. I feel nauseous. Like something feels not good. 
that happens in life as well. If you're not digesting a life experience, it'll live in your body. It won't feel good. Mm. But imagine, like when your physical digestion is on point, you feel clear. <laughs> mm. You feel radiant. You feel like, you know, it's just not an issue, right? Mm. And it's kind of the same in life. If you can digest all of your life experience, your mind will be so clear. Mm. because there's nothing there's no gunk that you're trying to work through all the time does that make sense Mm. yeah so that's what moon style practice is all about it's helping you assimilate and digest process and ground let go become steady that feels like a lot to catch (laughs) yeah (laughs) and it takes you might be doing that for years yeah yeah it's we want everything quick 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 in our life not even quick 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 like it's like Going from trying to interpret a timetable to then realizing right. that there is totally all of like moon, yeah, like all these like yeah, and then there's stages. It's, this is what I a, am so passionate about. It's a lot yep. to digest, totally. And so I guess there are going to be a lot of people listening who are ready to dive deeper into their practice yep. to really start to look at this ancient system mm. with your course that you're creating. Mm. How how are you structuring that and how could your course or someone else's course for that mm. matter, what does that give you? Do you mean like how, mm. how will that course allow you to really embody and understand these practices at the, at the level that you, you're, you, mm. you'd be seeking if you do go and do one of these courses, I guess? Yeah. Uh, so one of the, I guess, backbones of the Light of Tradition, the course that Uh, the 50-hour yoga training that I'm running in October is that, you know, at its foundation, it's connecting you to the system of yoga, which, you know, naturally is going to just tap you into, oh, there's more like kind of this conversation we're having like, oh, and once you like have those moments, you see yoga in a totally different way Mm. and then your capacity to interact with it gets much deeper just because you realize that there's more to it and then it becomes more integrative in your life naturally because you're aware that it touches all different points in your life uh it's not just something that you go and do for an hour and then you leave and you know uh but one of the backbones of it that is kind of going to be threaded through quite a lot is definitely the prana values so how air and wind move through your body because that's eventually how we can start to move prana and understand it more, understand our own energy for the purpose of physical health, mental health and spiritual health. So that's something that's kind of a foundation through it. And then how do we actually cultivate those energies? How do we know which of those energies are actually not super present in our life? Mm. Like, for example, if we find it difficult to express ourselves, there's an energy called Udana Vayu that moves up and out of you and that can be a thing that, you know, is stopping you from expressing yourself so okay how do we cultivate more of that energy in our life Mm. um so that's one of the things and you know if you're a yoga teacher listening as well like this is really once you understand this this is how you can really start to sequence and structure your classes in a way that is beyond the physical body but you're obviously still using the physical body but there's so much more substance to why you're doing what you're doing Mm. Uh, because I think a lot of teachers get into a like this is not usually common knowledge for yoga teachers. It's just not. Yeah. That's so weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, depending on the training that you do, mm. right? Um, the way that 
uh, sequencing is often structured in a lot of courses is more about like where is your physical body on your yoga mat? Like are you standing up? Are you sitting down? Are you in an arm balance? Whereas that doesn't really speak to what your energy body is doing. Mm. It just speaks to how you're standing and that's kind of how most courses are teach sequencing. Mm-hmm. So it's not teaching like your energy body and how that impacts your physical health, um, your mental health, your emotional health and your spiritual health as well. Uh, so that's like a massive thing that will be in there. Uh, the five prana values, how to work with them, how to integrate them, which is essentially you working with your energy, mm. which is so cool. I mean, that's everything in life, right? Literally. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's something that'll be threaded in through there quite a bit. And then also actually teaching you how to meditate, <laughs> like Amazing. actually making that a part of the course uh, and to meditate, to cultivate specific experiences. Uh, so for example, if you're like, oh, actually I need to be more grounded. Awesome. Here's the meditation that will do that for you. Here's the Kriya. So the internal action that will cultivate that experience for you. Do this for a certain amount of time until you feel like, oh, that meditation is working. I've actually shifted my energy, my consciousness or my, you know, awareness to that. Mm. Now I can start to move to this type of meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'll get all of the tools and the techniques to move yourself towards whatever it is that you're working on your path in life and in spirituality. There'll be mantra threaded through there so you can start to work with that in your life if you want to. Um, mudra will be in there. So all these things feel quite complex, but there's actually like a really specific system and way of integrating them into your life that I've been working on doing myself for a really long time. Um, and I think what's important to say here is like, these are not things that I've made up or innovated. Like these come from tradition and through Mm. thousands of years. Uh, so if you really do want to touch into yoga, this course will really help you touch into yoga because you're interfacing with the Shakti of it Mm. that has, yeah, it's, it's there. This is what I'm excited about. For a long time, I have no desire to teach yoga Yeah, in like Western sense. Yeah. <laughs> but I've had this deep fascination to learn more about yeah. the full practice. Yeah. And so that's why I'm really excited, Jimin, to be mm. able to start this course with you in a few months because I think it's going to be such a gift and such a compliment to so many other things. Yeah. And so if you're listening to this, I just think if this is sparking curiosity, this mm. is such a great way Jimin, it's only 50 hours of your time, but it's just going to give you such a good quality foundation of Mm. tradition. Yeah, totally. To then take that and then, Jimin, you can, you'll see where your your journey will keep unfolding however it's meant to afterwards, but. For sure. And a big part of this training is, I don't want to just teach you all of these techniques. Like I want you to actually embody them Mm. so that you understand them completely like not just from a book or you know through your intellect but you will know by the end of the training I know exactly what a part of value is because this is how I experience it in my body and I can feel mm. it I know exactly what the energy of power feels like I know exactly what the energy of stability feels like 
or expansion or integration or assimilation because I've built the language of myself Mm. through yoga and self, capital S, self, as well as little self. (laughs) 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 Um, Like it's not just about – because I think a lot of trainings do that. They just just teach you – for the purpose of you going to then be able to share that. But it's so important that it comes from an embodied experience. Like Mm. I want you to leave this training feeling deeply connected to yourself and deeply connected to tradition and the system of yoga and deeply held by it Mm. uh, because that's what it actually truly has the power and the magic to really cultivate and do in your life. And I think – integration is a big part of it too so learning how to actually integrate this into your world not have it feel so separate you know from your human self but actually using it to for example if you know you're moving through a time in your life where you want to uh, manifest something there's particular practices that you can do or meditations that you can do to actually support that as well Mm. Um, so making yoga super accessible and tangible in your life, not just in a studio or something that you do. Yeah, just not another thing you're learning. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Something that you're fully embodying. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know if that really answers your question. I think it does. <laughs> yeah. I think that was an incredible episode. Mm. And there is just so much value in that and mm. such a beautiful path that people can take in just – Knowing, Jimin, that step by step you're going to start to, mm. I don't know, learn and understand yeah. and weave weave your way through this yep. these systems. And, of course, you know, there are beautiful people like Holly mm. in the world who are here to teach and guide us through these traditions. Mm. And, yeah, if you're starting to get curious about like, hang on, I thought there was more to yoga. Like I thought, like it's not just this, surely it can't just be mm. this. Send me a message. <laughs> we can have a conversation because, yeah, there is so much more more to practice. And uh, trust also that when you're ready, like, that path will appear mm. too. And I think remembering that the ultimate yoga that we practice, really what it's all about is yoga, the word, comes from uh, – it means to yoke, to join together, to unite. Like, we hear that about yoga all the time. It means union. And really – you know, back in the day, there used to be, you know, the horse that linked the cart. Like that was called to yoke, mm-hmm. to join together. And this is what yoga is like to yoke together your lower self, not your lower self, but, you know, your human self, Holly, with the capital S self. Like that's what yoga is all about. It's not necessarily about getting one with everything outside of you, but how can you become one internally? with the human part of yourself and the spiritual self. How do you yoke them together? How do you join them together? So you they're integrated and, yeah. Beautiful. I can't yeah. wait to start. I'm so excited. <laughs> there's so many. If you are curious, there's a whole website for it. <laughs> so you can find out really what we dive into. The course curriculum's on there. Um, yeah. Exciting time still. So excited. And, yeah, guys, as always, if – you have any more questions around yoga or anything holy or myself do mm. please get in touch we love hearing from you yep. we love yeah hearing how this lands and things like that so please do reach out 
Share with your other yogi friends. Mm. And yeah, we'll be back for more yogi chats 100%. <laughs>